Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, you might have called it weed growing up, but its real name is cannabis. And as you may know, it's a flowering plant that many people use recreationally and medically. In 2018, the government of Canada passed the Cannabis Act, making the sale of non-medical cannabis legal. Each province quickly followed suit with its own legislation to regulate its sale and consumption in their jurisdictions. Since then, we've been accustomed to cannabis in our communities. We can now find fumbly finger-free pre-roll joints, edibles like gummies, chocolates and drinks, and a friendly salesperson to walk us through what's new in oils and concentrates. Even sporting events are sponsored by topical cannabis muscle creams. We can pick up cannabis when we get our groceries or when we get our gas. And there's also beautifully designed boutique stores in almost every corner of town. With this legalization and decriminalization, as well as the increased availability of cannabis, comes the need for education so that we, as consumers, can know what and why we're consuming these various products. So today, we answer those questions and are joined by local experts in cannabis policy evaluation, production, and medical research. When cannabis was first legalized, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador designed cannabis policies to protect public health and safety. But to this point, we don't know if their goals are being met or if these policies need to be changed. Which is why we're joined by Dr. Jennifer Donnan from Memorial University. In 2020, her team received funding from the Canadian Institute of Health Research, called CIHR, and the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction, the CCSA, to evaluate cannabis policy in Newfoundland and Labrador. Their research aims to answer questions around cannabis use, effectiveness of current retail models, public education needs, and the impact of legalization on public health and safety. She joined me from the university to tell us more. Let's check it out. Hi, Dr. Don, and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, you have a really interesting field of research. Can you tell me a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm an assistant professor at the Munn School of Pharmacy. And actually, I trained originally as a pharmacist myself, but most of my career has been in research and evaluation. Um, but cannabis policy research is something that's quite new to me. So that's something I started in 2019 when I first became faculty member with the School of Pharmacy. Uh, an opportunity came up to, to study and do some policy evaluation work, and I just jumped right on it. I thought it was uh, really exciting and really impactful work that, that people just are really interested in hearing about. So cannabis was legalized in 2018 in Canada. I think most people know that by now, October 2018 was the, the legalization date. But we were actually the only second country in the world to fully legalize cannabis. And so a lot of people don't really appreciate that. The first country was Uruguay. Most people think it's the Netherlands. Everybody thinks so. Cannabis is legalized in the Netherlands for years. But in actual fact, the Netherlands works under a decriminalized um, situation. And so in that country, it's not legal to sell or technically use cannabis, but it is decriminalized. So you can't get a criminal record for holding small amounts, but you can't legally grow it and sell it. And therefore, any products that are sold on that market or people are using, it's not, it doesn't come from a regulated situation. So there's no testing done. You don't know the concentration. You don't know the contaminants. And so that's really what happens under a decriminalized um, situation, which is what's happening there in the Netherlands, and it has been for quite some time. Legalization takes it a step further, and that's where we are here in Canada and Uruguay and several states in the, in the United States as well. 
And that's where we actually regulate the sale of cannabis. And so there are really strict protocols in place that look at the, the product itself, how it can be sold, how it can be packaged, the concentrations and everything like that. And so we're working now in a legalized environment here in Canada. And being only the second country in the world to do so means that there's a lot to learn. You know, there was a lot of discussion the years leading up to legalization. What's the best way to approach it? What are the best policies to put in place? The ages, how we're going to sell it. And I think we're still questioning that, right? Like we had to go with, you know, the, the best scenario, the best instinct, a very conservative approach. Um, but there's lots of discussion still to be had. There's still lots to learn and maybe ways to refine it to really make sure that cannabis legalization is done in the most and safest way. And that's where really my work has come from. It's looking at policy. How is it playing out in the community? How is it helping people? How is it um, maybe negatively impacting people? And how can we work to refine those policies to make it work for everybody? Mm. And this has been a process. Decriminalization bills were passed or were proposed in 2003 and 2004, and, and they failed, correct? Exactly. So here in Canada, um, a number of times they've tried to decriminalize cannabis um, and it never did pass. It, it, it never panned out. And maybe it's better off because maybe in a legalized environment, there is a lot more ways that we can protect the public and make sure it's safe for them to consume. And so maybe this became a best case scenario now that we can move forward with it in 2018 under a legalized framework, not just a decriminalized one. Right. OK, well, let's talk high level. What is cannabis? You can put your pharmacy hat on for this one, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so cannabis actually is a really complicated plant. It's it's not straightforward like many people might think. It's been used for centuries for medical and non-medical purposes because it has both physical and psychoactive or cognitive properties. And so a lot of people use it for you know pain management or relaxation and anxiety, sleep, things like that. And it's been used for a long time. People also use it to get high as a recreational type of substance as well. And it's been the second most used substance in Canada, the first being alcohol. But it's, it's just a really interesting plant because unlike like most other plants, um, there's actually a male and female version of the cannabis plant. And it's the female version that people are really most interested in. That's where the flowers come from. And that's where those high concentrations of what we call cannabinoids are, are found. And those cannabinoids are what works to have those physical and cognitive effects on the individual who's using it. The male plant is actually used mostly for making fabrics and hemp, hemp materials. It's the female plant that people are really interested in, um, in those flowers. And then once you get to that flower, it's also really complicated because like I said, we have these cannabinoids. People most commonly understand THC, which is the substance that typically is psychoactive. It gets people high, but then there's also CBD or cannabidiol. And that's not psychoactive, but people use it a lot for relaxation, anxiety, some other chronic conditions. There's actually over 100 different chemicals. These are just the two that we know most about. These are the things that people are looking for. But there are so many different chemicals that can actually be contributing to the effects people experience. We just still don't know enough about them to be able to say exactly what they're doing in people. And, and it can become many forms. So these, this flower is where the, those chemicals are, but people smoke it. They're kind of extracting those chemicals to kind of get more concentrated forms. They're boiling it and putting it into butter to make baked goods. So, I mean, it's consumed in many different, in many different formats. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, that's interesting to know that there's a male and female plant. There's also different strains of cannabis. So we've heard of indica and sativa. What do those mean? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. There's a couple of different strains out there. The most common ones people talk about are sativa and indica. And people, from what I hear, people, when I'm talking to people, they really just have a strong preference. They say, I only go for sativa or only indica, or maybe it's a certain feeling they want to experience and they'll, they'll pick one over the other. And so traditionally, the sativa product, they said to have a more uplifting effect or a better high versus the indica that are people say are more popular for the relaxation effects. But there's also hybrid plants out there too. So again, it's more complex. It's not one or the other. There's hybrids where these kind of things work together. And I'm not entirely sure. And I don't think we all really understand the true differences yet, because I think it might come down to the different amounts of the different cannabinoids that are found in each of these plants, right? So again, we have THC, CBD, but there's those other hundred that we're not sure what effects they're having and maybe they're contributing to the different effects. It could be the, the terpene profiles, which is actually where cannabis gets its aroma from. So a lot of people are really attracted to certain aromas for different cannabis products. And um, so you'll find people will say that sativas have more of a citrusy smell versus the indicas have a more foresty or like clove smell. And those all might contribute to the effects people experience. So there's a lot to learn there, but yeah, for sure, those are the two common ones. And the, in general, where people are, are looking to use them for. That's right. I've heard the saying indica means indi couch because you, uh, <laughs> you get a little bit lazier. And also, I think that there was uh, different things. The plants actually have some uh, differences when it comes to their structure as well, right? Like I've heard things like, for example, indica was used in northern environments because it was smaller and sturdier while the sativa was more in a tropical environment. Is that correct? Uh, I'm not sure about in terms okay. of the environments they grow in, but definitely they are... Um, the leaves are different. And so for sativas, they're like a taller, slimmer plant, whereas the indicas are more bushy. Mm. So this is an important question for anybody that's listening and may use cannabis. Is cannabis dangerous? <laughs> yeah, it is an important question. And just like every other question about cannabis, it's not a straightforward answer. When you compare cannabis to other substances that are typically used for like recreationally, like alcohol even, or opioids, it can be really easy to overdose. And so over like opioid overdose can lead to respiratory depression and even death. So these are really dangerous things that we were looking out for when it comes to opioid um, overdoses. But cannabis, it's really hard to overdose. So it's really hard to get to the point where you're going to have that you know, respiratory depression leading to death. I mean, it, they say it's nearly impossible for that to happen. So in terms of overdose, it, it's not as dangerous as, say, other substances. That doesn't make it harmless, though. <laughs> so the overdose is one thing. There's definitely side effects people experience, whether they're long term or short term. Um, sometimes people enjoy the side effects. They're what people are looking for. Other people, you know, you don't want to experience them. It could be heart palpitations or appetite suppression. It could induce anxiety or panic situations. Some people use it to reduce that kind of side of that symptom. Some people find that it actually causes it. Some people, depending on the amount they consume, might even experience mild hallucinations. And so there's definitely some serious potential side effects people could experience that they had to be aware of if they're going to experiment with cannabis. And then, of course, you can't forget about cannabis use disorder. So a lot of people think it's not addictive, but it actually is and can be quite addictive and can lead to cannabis use disorder similar to alcohol, you know, where it really interferes with people's daily living. And they estimate that about one in six youth who start consuming cannabis regularly in their childhood or youth will develop a cannabis use disorder, which will impact their ability to get a good education and in certain employment situations. And so cannabis use disorder is also not something to ignore. 
We're talking cannabis with Dr. Jennifer Donnan, who's the principal investigator in the Cannabis Health Evaluation and Research Partnership. She's sharing their insights into the world of legalized cannabis here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Today we're talking cannabis with Dr. Jennifer Donnan, who's a principal investigator in the Cannabis Health Evaluation and Research Partnership. She's sharing their insights into the world of legalized cannabis here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Let's check it out. What about from a safety aspect? I think that sometimes people don't consider it in the same arena as, say, alcohol when it comes to driving or using motor vehicles. (sighs) That is actually a really interesting point. So we have done, um, as part of uh, the research, we've done, we actually conducted focus groups with over 91 youth and young adults over the summer to talk to them about lots of things around cannabis and, and how it's impacted them. But in particular is the findings around alcohol or around driving and comparing it to alcohol. So it's it's quite amazing to think that young people do not perceive it as the same level of risk whatsoever. So they'll even say, you know, you'd never drive uh, after drinking alcohol or get in the car with someone who's drank alcohol, but they don't think twice about it when it comes to cannabis. Some people actually perceive that they're safer drivers. So they think that because it slows them down, they're more relaxed, they're calmer, they can be more attentive on the road, whereas alcohol makes them more spontaneous and, and maybe not as attentive. Other people believe that when people have tolerance to cannabis, they can handle themselves on the road and they actually trust drivers to get behind the wheel and get in the car with people who who consume cannabis. So there's a lot of misconceptions out there when it comes to alcohol and comparing it to cannabis and the effects on driving because it, it absolutely can impact people's driving abilities. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about some other risks, maybe not so much in the safety realm, but when it comes to the health realm, I've heard that cannabis can lead to mental health issues in young people. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of different aspects of this too. And so probably the most established research shows the link between cannabis use and psychotic symptoms and the development of schizophrenia. And I think that's where people really have the most fear is, you know, this this potential to develop schizophrenia later in life. And there's definitely a higher risk in people who have a family history of psychotic disorders. So any personal or family history. But what's not clear is if the cannabis actually induces the psychosis or schizophrenia, or if it's actually the predisposition for the psychosis that leads people to consume the drug. So it's it's not a clear picture, definitely association, but what comes first and second, it's um, it's really not clear. In terms of other mental illnesses, especially anxiety, um, bipolar disorder, depression, that is a lot less clear in the literature. There's definitely some associations between the two, not as clear as schizophrenia and and the links which comes first is not clear. What I think is most important though is when it comes to young people, especially those under the age of 25, is how cannabis impacts brain development. So not just mental health, but actually the development of their brain, their ability for memory, learning, cognition, um, mood, pleasure, motivation, all these things can be impacted by consuming cannabis in, in the younger age groups because those receptors for the cannabinoids that we talked about earlier are present all over the body, but especially in that developing brain. And there's definitely some research out there to, that does show that it impacts the development of, of the brain and those, those motor functions in youth and young people, leading right. to cognitive and maybe even behavioral impairments. 
Well, this leads just to what you're currently doing. It seems as though there are some very relevant issues when it comes to cannabis consumption. You're doing research into policy evaluation around cannabis now. Tell me about that project. Yeah, so we took a very broad approach when we started looking at this policy evaluation. I guess when we think about Newfoundland and Labrador, it's a very small province. We have a small population. So unlike Ontario, Quebec, BC even, they have a lot of people. They have a lot of data they can collect on you know, hospitalizations or traffic accidents and things like that. We just don't have the numbers to really show the impact of legalization specifically in this province. So what we decided to do here was to really take a broad look, really talk to people in the community, understand how is this legalization impacting them? What do they see the needs are? What is going well? What's not going so well? How can we improve that? And really look at how that policy refinement can take place to help meet those goals. And so we're taking definitely more of a qualitative approach. We started out by recruiting a citizen advisory panel and a stakeholder advisory panel. And we conducted a fairly thorough needs assessment. We got on radio shows, we conducted workshops, we collected survey responses to really listen to the community. What is it they feel are the important issues when it comes to cannabis legalization and in this province? And so from there, we identified six priorities, which we're looking into, some of which we've started, some of which we haven't started yet. The first one being the impact of cannabis legalization on youth in Newfoundland Labrador. And I spoke to a little bit about that when it comes to driving, but we have a lot more data talking to youth. We heard about the trouble people are having in accessing information and cannabis for medical purposes. You know, people in the community just really find it hard to even talk to their physician, get the right referrals, maybe get the support they need. And so we're going to look into that a little bit more. We identified a priority of the barriers and facilitators to operating retail cannabis stores. And so we know it's safer for people to consume legal cannabis that's been regulated. But to do that, to be able to offer legalized cannabis, these retail operators need to be able to operate in a successful way so that they can run a business. Um, And so we're looking at barriers and facilitators there so that they can operate successfully and be able to provide this service to the community. We want to look at the impact of legalization on Indigenous populations, um, and that's something we haven't started yet. Public education and awareness is huge. This is like right from school-age kids, age three to four need education, right to our senior population, all sorts of different health professionals. Education was a huge gap that was identified for so many reasons, and so we're going to be focusing a bit on education and public awareness. And then maybe some of the intended and unintended health consequences of using cannabis um, because we're really not clear about maybe some of the negative impacts that might be experienced. They're not well studied. So um, that's really where our project is focused right now. One of the things I think about when it comes to cannabis consumption is the decision to go to a licensed retailer to buy it or to go to somebody or buy it from somewhere that's unlicensed. How important is that? That's really important. And that was actually one of the main things that we want to look at is what influences people's choices um, when it comes to purchasing a cannabis product. And the reason we're so interested is because one of the main goals of legalization was to improve the health and safety of the general public who choose to consume cannabis. And you know, they're regulating cannabis and making sure that it's safe for people to consume. So if people are buying it from an unlicensed market, um, we can't guarantee its safety. But we need to make sure that retail operators can operate successfully to be able to offer that product. We're talking cannabis with Dr. Jennifer Donnan, who's a principal investigator in the Cannabis Health Evaluation and Research Partnership. 
she's sharing their insights into the world of legalized cannabis here in Newfoundland and Labrador. When we come back, we'll be joined by Chris Crosby, COO of Atlantic Cultivation, who will tell us a little bit about the process that they take to ensure that their product is safe for the consumer. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. Today we're talking all things cannabis. Before we get back to our conversation with Dr. Donnan, I wanted to follow up on our comments about the rigor that producers and retailers are required to meet in order to provide their product to the consumer. Joining me to share more about what goes into ensuring a safe product is Chris Crosby, who's the COO of Atlantic Cultivation. Let's check it out. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Great. I'm glad you could join me today. We are talking all things cannabis, and I think it's really important that we speak to the people that produce it as well as retail the product that we're going to be consuming. You know, tell me a little bit about your company and about your roots here in the province because you're a local company. Yeah, certainly. Atlantic Cultivation um, first started its licensing process in uh, 2017. So I'm the chief operating officer and founder. I'm also the responsible person in charge for the federal license and uh, master grower, which are just certain designations that Health Canada requires uh, through the licensing process. So our company is uh, completely vertically integrated and 100% Newfoundland owned. We have a facility up on Chem Mount Road that hires just over 30 people now on our cultivation and processing floor. And then another 10 office staff up top. And we have about uh, 36 retail staff across the province as well. Um, so we package, process, and deliver dried flowered cannabis products in the formats of pre-roll and just dried flour in bags. We also do concentrate products uh, such as hash rosin, and we are also cultivating as well and uh, have four flowering rooms that are about to be harvested in October. Excellent. Yeah, I keep track of you guys on social media, and you guys are busy a lot. Now, One of the things we're talking about today is we're looking at the value of legalizing and decriminalizing cannabis products. Tell me a little bit about some of the rigor that you have to go through as a licensed provider. Yeah, so the Health Canada application process, it's a multi-year project for anybody uh, to pursue uh, by the time you do construction on the facility. um, Only then when your facility is complete, you can enter the licensing phase. And in the licensing phase, Health Canada isn't so much concerned about the infrastructure that you built besides some security standards, which we'll talk about later, or the methodology in which you use to grow, whether it's uh, soil, hydroponics, aquaponics. The main thing they're concerned about in this uh, lengthy cannabis uh, licensing process is quality assurance and control to federal guidance documents. So at the beginning of this process, before you even receive a license that allows you to operate, you have to designate within your company a quality assurance person just to handle the licensing process for the corporation. And during this phase, you have to create a uh, database of standard operating procedures that describe uh, how you're going to be compliant in all the activities you do to Health Canada. So at that point, all these standard operating procedures always look to compliance towards uh, certain federal directives, such as the good production practices. Good production practices will over, um, you know, oversee most of the uh, activities we do, whether it's cultivation activity, 
um, uh, processing, like bagging or making uh, pre-rolls or making concentrates. Um, we have to have preventative control plans and other documents that show that any of these processes we have within the facility would have measures in place that uh, would maintain food safe and batch traceability if there was ever a recall and never uh, expose any consumers to uh, anything harmful. Even though we operate to certain procedures in the facility that maintain our sanitization, our food safety, um, and all the other compliance issues, we still have to send portions of our product out during mid-process and finished process. So during a packaging run with packaging materials, we would have to send out and get a test to show that there is no pesticides or heavy metals in the flour and that there's no uh, bad microorbial uh, contamination on the packaging um, or on the dried flour itself. And then last and not really least, uh, the one thing that Health Canada really maintains a uh, strict guidance on um, is the physical security measures and also the uh, personnel security measures for your company. Wow. That's a, that's, that's very extensive stuff. And it, and that's something that we're talking about today. Safety people are using it for various reasons, whether it be recreational or for medicinal uses, which we're covering in today's show. One of the things I think is important as well is this is a sort of growing industry and it's a, a new product that's on the market, but what does it do for companies here locally that get an opportunity to sell in retail? How do you, how are you able to contribute back as a result of that? I mean, the, uh, the, the growth in the local market and even the national market has been outstanding. There's been a lot of conversion from legacy market uh, consumers uh, going to legal cannabis. Um, and that's the great opportunity is that there's still a lot of people out there who uh, haven't come into the um, licensed cannabis retailers across Newfoundland. But, you know, the, the industry for us during COVID, when, you know, it's been a struggle for a lot of businesses, we've been able to hire approximately 70 something people, um, expand to five retail locations and are in the middle of building actually another five uh, across the province. So just the jobs alone are great. Obviously, when you make that conversion, you know, from the, from the legacy market in, into legal, the quality control and the variety and all of that is uh, certainly advantageous to the consumer. We have a very consumer focused uh, company. Well, that's fantastic, Chris. I would love to talk to you for the entire night. We're definitely going to have to have you back on to talk a little bit more about cannabis and all the ins and outs, because I know you know this topic intimately. Thank you so much for joining me today. No problem, Mike. Anytime. That was Chris Crosby, COO of Atlantic Cultivation. Let's get back to our chat with Dr. Don and, and learn more about health policy around cannabis here in the province. Cannabis is different than, say, alcohol. It's got, uh, like you said, over 100 different compounds. It can have a whole different effect on your body. I feel like there's still maybe stigmas for people feeling uncomfortable going into locations to purchase it and then even asking the questions that they may need to have in order to choose the right product if they have it. And secondly, a fear that they don't know enough, so they're going to be judged for not knowing enough on top of that. So there's a real, like, I could see a conundrum for people that are trying to do it because although it's legal, I think a lot of people still have those misconceptions that we've had from the past that keep us from from going in and, and being a consumer. Exactly. Especially the people who are new consumers, people who since legalization decided they want to give this a try and they they really walk in. They don't know a lot about cannabis and cannabis products, and they really need that advice and recommendations um, from a retailer to be able, be able to guide them to the right product choice. And so sometimes that can be a bit intimidating. 
Right. I could imagine somebody going in and picking the first thing off the shelf that's 24% THC and, <laughs> and ha having a very different experience than they would if they chose something that was recommended for somebody who is uh, looking for a relaxation type effect. What about the impacts of legalization on youth? And, uh, you know, we said that there were some health risks around that. What about their consumption and how is that actually impacting the youth that are going to be buying these products? Yeah. So youth consumption, I think there's some mixed opinions out there on this and how cannabis consumption has changed since legalization. Some sources say that it has increased slightly. Um, others say that maybe it's stayed the same, but cannabis consumption has been a problem long before legalization among the young population. Uh, and so I don't think it's changed dramatically, but what has changed, I believe, is our opportunity to educate on it. Because before legalization, you know, it was a legal substance. It was really focused on an abstinence-based scare tactic approach, but we really have to change our mindset on how we talk to youth about cannabis because they're growing up in a much different society than what you or I did. And it, it really is now viewed the same as alcohol. It is a substance people use. And I think we need to educate them in that in that way. And right now they're not getting that. Now, I'm not saying they're getting it for alcohol either. I think there's a big lack of education out there for all sorts of substances. But what we've heard from youth is that they're really not getting the information they need. Most of the information is from peers yeah. and from TikTok. <laughs> right. And you know, I think I think there's a lack of information around health, which is why we got the show and people like you on here. Now, yeah. there's another another population that might need some education as well, because healthcare practitioners can sometimes be a barrier for people to use some of these substances, because I believe that there may also be some hesitancy by some doctors and physicians to prescribe something like this. Yeah, I think that's a huge issue that patients are facing right now is that they feel intimidated, whether it is a perceived intimidation or an actual um, unwillingness for physicians to talk to them openly about cannabis use. And so, um, you know, there's lots of people who you know, are afraid to disclose that they're using it maybe non-medicinally, but then so many more who really want to try it for medical purposes, but feel that their doctors aren't opening. They just kind of shut down the conversation. Not to say that there's no, no physicians out there that are supportive. There's definitely people out there who support their patients in this way, but it's definitely a barrier to a lot of patients. And then of course, for some, there's some good reason for that too, because there is a real lack of evidence for using cannabis for a lot of medical indications. It's growing, we're getting more, but a lot of it is still so anecdotal. And so we really, physicians find it really hard to make recommendations for their patients when they have very minimal evidence to go by. And so there's good reason for why physicians are a little hesitant, but then of course they can't refer to specialists or they can, but it's a really long wait list. And so patients are left experimenting on their own without good advice. They're going into the stores and getting their medical advice from retailers and friends. And um, so we really just need to open up those lines of communication, get some education going out there because people are using it. We can't change that, but we, we can be part of that conversation and help support them along the way. And so one of the projects we're looking at doing is talking to healthcare providers and looking at what those barriers are and how we can break those down so that we can have those open lines of communication. Right. And so how has cannabis use changed since it's been legalized? Because I would assume it's maybe gone up. Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually not gone up dramatically like maybe people would have thought. I think for the most part, the people who were always consuming cannabis are still the main group out there who are, who are consuming it now, but, but it has gone up. So there's estimates. Every survey is a little different and 
and how accurate they are, but the Canadian Cannabis Survey said that in 2018, just before legalization, there was about 14% of the total population who consumed cannabis. And then in late 2020, it went up to about 20%. So that's a an increase, but not maybe as much as we would have expected with legalization. It's not where alcohol is, for example. <laughs> right. It might just be people admitting to it now that it's legal as well. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we've talked about a lot of the risks, but what are some of the benefits we're seeing from the legalization of cannabis? I don't know if I should say the benefits of cannabis use, but certainly the benefits of legalization, because mm-hmm. Being able to create safe access has huge benefits. Before, it was just unknown. People were going and getting it from all different sources. They didn't know what contaminants were in them. Um, They didn't know how strong the product was. They couldn't even take a good, educated, safe and slow approach because they didn't always know what was in it. And so I think providing safe access is definitely a huge benefit of legalization. I also think that decriminalizing, which is part of the legalization process, is also beneficial because criminalization only creates barriers to access future services and education and employment for something like small possession of cannabis sales. So I think there's some huge benefits that have come from legalization. I also think another benefit is our opportunities now to do research, because like I said, there's an overwhelming amount of anecdotal evidence, some which I'm sure will come out as maybe being truth from, you know, being proven through evidence. Others may not be because there's a lot of things out there. It cures cancer. It cures COVID. You know, you can find anything that cannabis can do if you look far enough on the internet. But at least now that it's legal, we have the opportunities to do that research, to really examine it more closely, see what the true benefits are for our patient population. So I think that's, that's a big thing. That's excellent. And we're going to be talking to Dr. French today, who's doing research into epilepsy and some disorders when it comes to the musculoskeletal system. So that's an interesting topic as well. We look forward to talking to him. So what do we hope the research that you talked about will will find? Well, what I'm really hoping to do is is really help support the conversation around legalization and making it as safe for our population as possible. So again, like I said, when they legalized cannabis, it was a really conservative approach. We didn't know all the right answers. We didn't know how to approach it. And it was much easier to roll out a very conservative set of policies and regulations and then roll them back as needed. And so just being able to build up evidence, talking to the community, identifying how we can refine this to be as safe as possible for our community. I think that's really where I want to contribute because right now, I mean, I'm not saying it's not safe, but maybe if people aren't accessing cannabis in safe ways, it's not as effective as it could be. And so I'm hoping we can address some of those issues, make it safe for our young people, and as well as create those business opportunities so that we're keeping more of those cannabis sales through that that legalized um, market. That's right. That makes perfect sense. Well, we're starting to wind down here. So is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with before you go? Well, I couldn't uh, leave this opportunity without putting a plug in for our cannabis conference that we're having, which is actually a bit of a webinar series because it will be virtual. And we heard that people would rather listen to content in smaller (laughs) segments rather than a full day of webinars. So we're hosting a Um, a conference. It's called Cannabis Crossroads, Growing Knowledge and Weeding Out Misinformation. And this will consist of four different webinars held on Wednesdays, every other Wednesday in October and in November. And we're looking at issues around access to safe cannabis. So we'll have a panel discussion on that. 
We'll have a panel discussion about cannabis use in the workplace, which I think will be really informative, not only to the general public, but employers and how they can handle policies around people who are now using cannabis for medical purposes. Our third one's on cannabis use and driving. And so we'll have a panel discussion there with some experts in law enforcement. And then finally, we're going to have an information session on medical cannabis. And this is really a continuing education event for healthcare professionals to try to fill the gaps that we're seeing there with continuing education uh, in those subgroups. So this is really meant for the general public. Most of these sessions, we'd love for as many people as uh, can to attend. It's free to attend. And uh, we'll have more information on our website around uh, like the descriptions of each of the of the topics. So, Well, that's fantastic. I'll be looking forward to attending that myself, and I will make sure that we post that website as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think your work is extremely interesting and very important for us going forward in our community. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. That was Dr. Jennifer Donnan, who's a principal investigator in the Cannabis Health Evaluation and Research Partnership. When we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Curtis French, who's a researcher investigating the medicinal benefits of cannabis in epilepsy patients. He'll also discuss how cannabis research is evolving in patient management. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Curtis French, who's a professor and researcher in the Division of Biomedical Sciences in the Faculty of Medicine at Memorial University. Dr. French is studying the use of cannabinoids to treat epilepsy. He talks about his work and how cannabis is being studied as a potential treatment for various health conditions. Let's check it out. Hi, Dr. French. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to chat with you today. We're talking about a really interesting topic. We're talking about cannabis, but also how it's going to be used in the medical world. Can you tell me a bit about your work and your research in your lab? Sure. My uh, research lab here in biomedical sciences at MUN uh, uses a model organism called zebrafish to study human disease. Believe it or not, zebrafish are quite similar to humans uh, genetically and, and physiologically, and so they make a great lab animal to look at disease. For example, we look at glaucoma and stroke, and recently a new direction for my lab is uh, studying epilepsy in zebrafish. That's excellent. And what is it, where did your research background begin? Uh, I actually began as an undergraduate student here at Memorial University and did a master's degree here as well in, in human genetics. Uh, I then went on to the uh, University of Alberta to study molecular biology and genetics. And that's where I first using zebrafish. Once I finished my PhD at the University of Alberta, I went to the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Edmonton to do a fellowship uh, and then was lucky enough to land a professorship back here at MUN. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's why I, I recognize this from our meetings. Everything's been virtual these days, but we're back in the building now for the semester coming up. Now, cannabis is used to treat a lot of different diseases, and that's how you sort of got into the area of researching it for epilepsy, right? Yeah, so cannabis has actually been used to treat epilepsy for hundreds of years. And, and so it is a relatively new direction in our lab, but there are, there are lots of reports working well to treat epilepsy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, in fact, an, an FDA-approved product in the United States to treat some uh, severe syndromes that involve convulsions. And it can be prescribed for a number of different conditions here in Canada. Really? And, and what other diseases are, is cannabis being used for? Uh, well, like I said, in, in the United States, it's kind of restricted because there is an FDA approved product, uh, but it can be used for two syndromes called uh, Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gaudet syndrome, which involve a lot of convulsions. Uh, here in Canada, it can be prescribed more widely for epilepsy and various conditions that involve convulsions. But anything that involves anxiety, uh, chronic pain, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, cannabis is used for those reasons uh, in Canada. 
Okay, so let's get into a little bit of the uh, specifics around it. Like, there are different types of cannabis. How does it actually work within the body when it comes to helping these pain receptors or these these centers that control our motor systems? Sure, yeah. So, so in our bodies, we have something called an endocannabinoid system. So we produce some cannabinoids in our body that bind to two specific cannabinoid receptors. And this, and we're still trying to figure out, you know, exactly what this system does in the body, but we know that it does seem to uh, affect neurons and can specifically affect synaptic plasticity. So when a neuron fires and releases neurotransmitters, that whole process can be kind of turned up and turned down uh, depending on what the body needs. And endocannabinoid system uh, seems to be able to affect that and sort of turn up the message coming from a neuron or turn it down and inhibit it if need be. And so when we use cannabis products, which contain phytocannabinoids, which are very similar to the endocannabinoids we have in our body, uh, those phytocannabinoids combine the same receptors and activate those systems. And so there's an effect on the neurons, which we know become excited in epilepsy and fire when they shouldn't. Uh, and of course, neurons are involved in pain reception and things like that. So there seems to be a lot of different conditions, anything involving the neurosystem that you could use cannabis for. Right. And I think a lot of people hear about THC and CBD, but there's more than just those two cannabinoids, right? There's literally hundreds, aren't there? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, those are the two most popular ones that uh, most studies uh, use and, and involve because uh, THC, of course, is the compound that gives you the psychoactive properties uh, of cannabis. So uh, uh, very important for the recreational cannabis market. CBD definitely has some medical properties from various studies, as does THC. But certainly you're right, there are hundreds of different cannabinoids uh, in just about any given cannabis plant. There's also a lot of other different molecules such as uh, terpenes and flavonoids that could have medical properties. And so in our lab, that's one of the things that we're trying to do. We're not actually using cannabis per se uh, on our zebra fish. We're actually using isolated cannabinoids such as THC, CBD. And we've looked at about 20 others right now to see if they actually have medical properties and can treat our uh, zebra fish that have epilepsy. That's, that's really interesting. Okay, so we know now that the cannabis contains these cannabinoids, which can bind to different receptors in the body. So let's talk about specific to your research. And that's the topic we haven't talked about on the show yet is epilepsy. How does that work? And, and what are the functions that cause epilepsy to manifest as being a, a disease? Sure. Well, well, epilepsy, and there's not really one mechanism of epilepsy. So there's a lot of different ways uh, that you could have epilepsy. And there are a lot of different terms that can be used to describe epilepsy. But generally, epilepsy is going to be, uh, you know, any disease where you're going to have reoccurring convulsions. Uh, and so generally speaking, when you have a seizure or a convulsion, you're going to have neurons firing when they shouldn't or large groups of neurons firing when they shouldn't. So there's no stimulus that we know of on the neuron, but it's firing when it shouldn't. And that can cause movement disorders and seizures. So when people are now potentially investigating the use of cannabis for this, how do you determine which cannabinoids you're using? How do you determine the dosage and, and how will this sort of relate to pharmaceutical treatment in the future? Sure. So we order these cannabinoids from standard supply companies and we treat our larval zebrafish with them. So these larval zebrafish uh, have seizures and we can actually, we have a video camera that basically videotapes our zebrafish larvae after they've been exposed to the various cannabinoids. And we look at the video afterwards and see how many seizures they have, and we can quantify that. And we'll use a number of different doses of each cannabinoid. But the key is that we can really do this in a high throughput manner. So using zebrafish allows us to test a lot of different cannabinoids at one time. So we're not really selecting particular cannabinoids. We're trying to almost get through all of the known cannabinoids that are in the plants. Uh, just as a sort of a screen to see which ones are the best 
or have the best anticonvulsive properties. That makes sense. So potentially, if you were able to find a strain of a certain plant that contained the right combination, then that mm-hmm. could be used by somebody as a specific modality or a medication for them, as opposed to putting it in a pill form or taking a specific titrated oil or something like that, right? Absolutely. Well, both are options. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually have a, a private public funding uh, partnership for this project. And so we are working with a local Newfoundland cannabis company called CEBG. Uh, and they're certainly interested in this project uh, because of the data that we're going to produce. And so if we can figure out, you know, which cannabinoids have the best uh, medicinal properties, specifically with respect to epilepsy and convulsions, they can then start to grow plants that are, have higher concentrations in those cannabinoids, uh, either through selective breeding or genetic manipulation of the plants. And one thing we're also well, doing in our lab, too, is uh, working out some extraction methods for some of these lesser known cannabinoids so that working with the private company, we can start to actually quantify what the concentrations of these other cannabinoids are, uh, and then start to uh, maybe produce plants that might have increased concentrations. Hmm. Okay, so those are some of the benefits of cannabis. Are there any risk factors that you see when your research that could potentially warn people that cannabis may not be the right thing for them? Uh, sure. I mean, most of that comes from human studies, uh, as opposed to our zebrafish-based research. Uh, certainly there, there are always issues when using cannabis or, uh, cannabis products in children. And I mean, that's important to note because I mean, epilepsy doesn't just affect uh, adults. There are plenty of children with epilepsy. And so certainly you don't want to be giving children any products that are going to have high concentrations of THC, which definitely seems to have anticonvulsant, uh, effects. So we would like to try and find other cannabinoids in addition to THC that could, that could be used to treat seizures because certainly cannabis use and THC specifically can have negative consequences for brain development in children. So certainly that's something to consider. Uh, In adults, I mean, there aren't really a lot of side effects. Uh, Obviously the psychoactive properties of THC, while, you know, important for the recreational market, if you're just using cannabis for medicinal purposes, maybe you don't want that psychoactive property of the products that you're using. Uh, but really in adults, the only other problem too, is that you, you can sort of saturate your system with, with cannabis. And so if you use cannabis continuously over time, you can start to see sort of a less of effect with the, the same sort of dose. And so will your research lead to uh, a potential outside of the plant side of things? Will it lead to a potential pharmaceutical? Because I hear that that's an industry that's starting to grow as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, the idea is if, if we can produce plants that have you know higher concentrations of these cannabinoids, Not only can those strains be used for people who want to uh, use cannabis itself, but we can then start to isolate specific cannabinoids if we want to put them in pill forms and and, and things like that. And again, that's one of the things our lab is working on is is, uh, extraction methods for some of the lesser known cannabinoids that may have medicinal properties. Excellent. So what's next for your lab? Where do you guys see this research going into other diseases or different areas? Yeah, we certainly do. I mean, cannabis is used for a lot of different things, certainly anxiety and, and, and maybe even as a bit of a pain reliever. Uh, there are some studies in humans that uh, show that there might be an effect there. And so, and these are all things that we can test by looking at behavior in zebrafish larvae. Uh, so, so there's a lot of different windows to look at uh, with respect to cannabis and the medicinal properties. But right now for the next couple of years, we're focused on uh, epilepsy and finding the, uh, the, the molecules that might have the best anticonvulsive uh, effects. So if somebody wanted to find out information that was validated and available to them, where can they go if they're looking for information on epilepsy and maybe the use of things like cannabis? Certainly Epilepsy Newfoundland would be a good go-to resource. Uh, They're a charitable organization here in Newfoundland, and they're in fact one of the funders of this study. 
So they have a lot of good information on their website about epilepsy. There's some information there about cannabis use, uh, as well as the Health Canada website will also contain some uh, information about uh, cannabis and its medicinal uses. Any last words for the listeners before we close up? Uh, You know, enjoy your cannabis responsibly. And uh, thank you for having me uh, on the program today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you to my guests for joining me today. I'm not sure about you, but I learned a lot about cannabis, how it's made, how it's regulated, and what's happening in the world of medical research. It's a topic that may be a bit controversial to some of us, but now that it's part of our communities, I think it's important that we should have the right information. Be sure to tune in next week as we dive into the Soapbox Science event being held this weekend at the Farmer's Market. Until then, I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.